Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Just reminding you guys that the ancient liturgies, after the reading of God's word, would close by saying, thanks be to God. So I'll say this is the word of the Lord, to which God's people respond, thanks be to God. Join me here in just getting present to the reading of the text. We Christians believe that when the text is read, God's voice, God's words, speak to our souls. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can grab your seats. Holy Spirit, come and apply these passages to us, apply these ideas to us. And even this morning, Father, as we've received a mantle of missionary responsibility, I pray publicly now, as I've prayed privately since the birth of this church, that she would be a global missionary discipleship movement. In the life of our church, be that this generation or five generations from now, may we send missionaries and church planters, leaders, ministers of the gospel all across the planet. There are those in this room who are called to go. They are called to plant. They are called to lead. They are called to shepherd. Stir their hearts this morning. Spirit of God, multiply and send our community out into the city and out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are reaching the end of our series where we've been reestablishing our core values, our three primary core values that govern everything that we do here at Neighbors. Simplicity, stillness, and spirit. Really important that you get back and you track with where we've been because each of these values build on one another. We slowed down for the last seven weeks to spend extra time developing a greater understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, the third part of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've been studying how he moves in the world and how he moves in our community. So we talked about how God the Holy Spirit from Genesis to Revelation, he is the God who dwells or hovers over the chaos and brings order to our souls and brings order to society through the scriptures, word and spirit. He is the God who gifts his people with abilities and desires and then animates them in his power to accomplish his kingdom work on earth as it is in heaven. He is the God who speaks to his people and speaks through his people. We spent time talking about tongues, very non-controversial topic in the church. And we discussed prophecy and how we understand and practice prophecy here at the church. Not enough time to review that this morning. We turn a corner in this last session of lecture and teaching in this way. The gifts and the animation of the Spirit, his dwelling among us and his ordering of our souls and of society, his speaking to us and speaking through us, it is all for the sake of the broken world around us. There's a real danger that the values that we hold here at a church like neighbors if not fully developed and continually being brought to the overall mission of Jesus Christ, 
well, our values might just be misapplied and misinterpreted as a very sophisticated self-care program with Jesus' name added onto it. Practicing Sabbath or taking a day off, learning to breathe in the silence and solitude or mindfulness, uh, decluttering our lives through simplicity, resting. These are all ideas that if you just take Jesus' name off of them, they could fit into any secular life coach's curriculum as a means of self-care. Now, self-care is important. Some of you come in here this morning so wounded and so worn out, you are on the verge of despair. And the Holy Spirit wants to comfort you, wants to care for you, wants to build you up and strengthen you. But self-care, ultimately, in the Christian context, is about the death of ourselves. And it's not just some morbid, macabre, dark death for the sake of death. Our king and creator understood that we humans, we will do whatever it takes to keep our faults and our deformed selves comfortable and untransformed. And so I have this ongoing working thesis within the leadership frames that I sit in that one of the most compassionate ways to tend to our souls is to actually tend to the soul of another. One of the best ways for you to get mentorship is to take on the mantle of mentoring somebody. So while our values and practices, they do indeed enhance our personal well-being, and they do bring flourishing as we practice them, and that is important, at the base level, these flourishing, well-being-producing practices, at base level, they do so by denying the false self, the self that survives on appearances, on wealth, on power, on control, on performance, on the opinions of others. And so ultimately, spiritual formation is for the sake of others. And a hallmark of the work of the Holy Spirit in the human heart is this growing selfless and sacrificial love for the people that we've been sent to. So our values, simplicity and stillness, they create space for us to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to do what he did. But they do so so that we might sacrificially serve and die for the other learning to make strangers our friends, making our enemies our family. And so it's for the sake of the other that God dwells in the world and brings order through us. We are the living temple, hosting his presence, his church. Our gifts and the way that he animates us this week in our workplaces are for the good of our coworkers and fellow students, friends and family members. We are the church, the pastoral and the prophetic presence of the kingdom of God in the world. You and I, we exist as a modern-day guild of prophets, speaking, warning, guiding lost humanity. We are truth-tellers in the midst of the lies, peacemakers in the wars, comforters in the chaos, and heralds of his kingdom to come. And ultimately, God's will, when this whole thing comes to its final conclusion, God's will is that all of creation will be filled with himself and with his beauty and his goodness and his righteousness. The end of all things looks like this beautiful culmination of everything wrong being made right. Here's what Habakkuk said and promised us in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This morning at sunrise, as the sun was coming up, I was sitting out in the water, looking out over the Pacific Ocean, just thinking to myself, as the waters cover the sea, how much water covers the sea? What a weird statement. All of it. 
All of the earth will be covered with this beautiful glory and goodness of God. And so from the beginning, here's where we turn the corner in our series. From the beginning, God's means of accomplishing this water covering the earth with his glory, it has always been through partnering with his humans in patterns of multiplying and sending, multiplying and sending, multiplying and sending. The Holy Spirit as we close our series, is the God who multiplies and sends. Quick biblical theology of this multiplication sending theme throughout the texts. Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, they were given what has traditionally been called in theological circles the cultural mandate. Class, can you say that with me? Cultural mandate. There we go. Be fruitful and increase in number, God said to Adam and Eve. Fill the earth and subdue it. The cultural mandate. So fruit bearing and increasing in number for Adam and Eve and for all humans that would come from Adam and Eve, that meant marriage, that meant having children, that meant cultivating the land in a sustainable and careful way, that meant protecting the animals and the ecosystems of creation. Be fruitful, multiply. That meant go forward and build societies and build cultures that are based on intimate partnership with Creator God. And we all know the story. There's this strange talking snake, a serpent in the, in, in the garden. And Adam and Eve, they failed to follow the counsel of God and instead followed the counsel of the snake, the chaos creator. And we, to this day, as their progeny, as their children, have continued in our separation from God, being disordered and bearing disordered fruit and multiplying, instead of order out into creation, we have instead multiplied chaos into creation. Even in their failure, though, in Genesis 3, God promised that one day someone would come, this chaos crusher, this new human who would not fail. When Jesus came... He came to crush the chaos creator, to crush the serpent, and to die for your sin and my sin. Jesus absorbed our disorder. Jesus took into himself the chaos of our rebellion that had brought destruction and death to this world. And he went into a grave, literally and physically, and from that grave he rose, conquering the chaos creator forever. Resurrection is the ultimate conquering of the ultimate disorder, death. And now, through forgiveness and the power of his spirit, God indwells us and makes you and I new. We are new Adams, new Adams. And we are new Hevas, new Eves. New dirt in whom God has breathed life and new sources of life. That's the literal translations of Adam and Eve. And so we are now, in the Spirit, a whole new garden people, and we are a spiritual family. And what Jesus did, just prior to his crucifixion and resurrection, was he recommissioned the original cultural mandate, and he recommissioned it anew and afresh, recentering it upon himself through his spiritual family. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission the new cultural mandate upon all of God's people. Jesus came to them, to us, this morning and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A new garden people with whom they walk with God in the cool of the day, commissioned to this mission, of cultural 
caring and tending, society building through art and beauty. The disciple-making church, that's us. We are ground zero for God's ongoing plan to bear fruit in the world and bring glory to himself until all the earth is covered as the waters cover the sea with his goodness, his fame, his honor, his holiness. And all of this, friends, is accomplished by our souls surrendering to the power and wisdom and goodness of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said, speaking of himself. This is what is written, speaking to his disciples. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been, listen, stay in the city, disciples, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Luke, in his sequel to that passage in Luke, in Luke chapter 24, in his sequel, the book of Acts, he highlights the expansive nature of how the Holy Spirit wants to multiply God's forgiveness out into the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and San Diego, and El Cajon, What's further north? San Francisco and Portland. Hey, guys. And across to the East Coast. And all around the world, this global multiplication and sending, this pattern of multiplication and sending has been happening since day one until it all culminates in every tribe, tongue, and nation bowing before Jesus as Lord at his ultimate return and the establishment of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So for us this morning here on Sunday morning, November 13th, 2022, the Holy Spirit intends to empower you and I to bear fruit and multiply in four categories, four categories, individually, as a family, into society, all around the globe. Four categories that the Holy Spirit this morning is very intentional and very committed to multiplying and sending you and I out into the world, individually bearing fruit, through family, to create society that covers the globe. Everybody tracking with that? Let me walk you through this very quickly. Individually, the Spirit multiplies the fruit of Eden in our individual souls. How? As we partner with him through these practices, the practices that we talk about here at Neighbors Church all the time, Sabbath, silence, solitude, scripture, scripture reading, scripture memorization, intercessory prayer, care for the poor, reaching down to the oppressed, trying to lift them up, memorization, every practice, church attendance on Sunday mornings, community, fasting, all of these practices are the means by which we partner with the Holy Spirit that he might birth in us this new Edenic fruit from deep within. Paul would describe it this way in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He intends this morning to multiply that beautiful list more and more in your heart over the duration of your entire life. And Paul's list of the Spirit there, it is bullet-pointed descriptions of what perfect humanness looks like. When we looked at Jesus, the God-man among us, fully human, we saw him, a human who was perfectly loving, perfectly joyful, perfectly peaceful, 
forbearing, kind, good, faithful, gentle, always self-controlled. And this is his spirit in us who is now multiplying and sending us into the world over the duration of our lives as we are transformed more and more to be like him, like Jesus. And as we become like him, more joyful, more loving, more peaceful, more forbearing, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, more self-controlled, as we become like him, we are then sent into our spheres as little Jesuses to multiply, to tend to, to pastor, to prophetically confront, to comfort. And as we go forth into the world as individuals, we are also going forth into the world as a new family, as a spiritual family. He intends to multiply and send us individually from deep within the Edenic fruit being born out of us as we practice these things that shape and form our souls. And it binds us together, the Spirit binds us together as a new spiritual community, as a family. We form a new family. Jesus' life, death, and burial, and his resurrection created and inaugurated a new kingdom formed by this spiritual family. And this family, friends, it supersedes. It goes beyond bloodline allegiances, something that's very difficult for us to get our minds around how intensely Jesus considered the family of God to be tethered to one another. Let me just pause here for just a moment, do a little cultural elaboration. Our current cultural moment, particularly in the West, tends to uh, disparage or tends to disdain, uh, in some sectors, marriage and family. And this disdain or this, this sort of uh, turning, up a, turning up a, I don't know what the phrase would be, just kind of suspiciously looking at what has traditionally been called the nuclear family, has crept into the church. Because, so goes the teaching, the Western church has made marriage and family an idol. And maybe you were raised in the church and it was like you arrived when you were married. And then once you had kids, now you were like a really healthy Christian. And if you were single, somebody needed to pray that single disease away. We actually went to an event. We went to an event one time. I'm not going to say where the church was. And the dude gets up and it's a, like neighbors is a, you guys are all young and single. Some of you are older and single. And this dude gets up and he's literally like, we're just going to pray the disease of singleness away. I, I was just like, oh my gosh. Here, here's what I want to address. Jesus, Jesus never diminishes marriage and biological children as a good thing. In Western society, we are actually having less kids than we are dying. Japan is on the verge of a full population crisis. And here in the West, folks, and this is just statistics. I'm not saying this in a condemning way, but statistically, folks are getting married much later. Uh, women are having children much later. And there's a whole bunch of complex factors, cultural and sociological, why that is happening. But for us here in the church, we need to remember that the cultural mandate from the very beginning, when you read it in its most simplistic way, this is going to be hard for some of us to hear because the, the narratives of the Western culture have just shaped us. But when God says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, he's saying, have a ton of babies. Have a ton of babies. This is something that I really want to begin to address more and more within our community because most of you will get married. Most of you will get married. And most of you will have children. And the opportunity to have children is a blessing from God. And truly, we need to out-baby the secular society around us. That sounds intense, but that is exactly what Jesus was talking about. Now, what does that mean for us as a spiritual family, though? 
Jesus included within that spiritual family. He didn't prioritize biological family. He said biological family is beautiful in light of the cultural mandate, but it's in concert with this greater spiritual family, these spiritual mothers and fathers, these spiritual brothers and sisters, these cousins, aunts, and uncles that are all deeply tethered together as a spiritual community, a spiritual family. What that means for us is that we lift up singleness as well, and that if you are here this morning and you are single, that is not yet married, you still have the mantle of responsibility to produce spiritual children being multiplied and sent out into the world through your mentoring, through your comforting, through your pastoring. As we do this, as we form families, as we have babies, both physical and spiritual, as we care to one another, as a family of fathers and mothers and aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, all of the things that family is, we actually collectively form a counterculture society based on the forgiveness and the love of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. And these little mini societies of the kingdom of heaven on earth, biological and spiritual, they operate like leaven in the loaf. Most of us aren't familiar with baking, but leaven would cause the loaf to rise. And so we exist in the city of San Diego as a counterculture society based on intimacy and forgiveness and mercy and care for one another. And these spiritual families and communities of Jesus are then sent out into society to draw them into the kingdom of God through forgiveness and mercy. The big end game is to restore the garden ideals to all of humanity. And this is a global enterprise. Individually, through family, that creates a new society that spreads across the whole globe, multiplying and sending God's goodness out into the world. It's a global enterprise. Matthew 28 is a global commission. And so God is multiplying garden fruit, and he's sending his people all around the globe until his glory covers every square inch of the universe. I'm beginning to pray this publicly. Some of you know that I pray really, really, really impossible prayers. (laughs) And I, I, I will probably pray them to the day I see Jesus and may never see actual answers to them because they are kind of ludicrous in some sense. From day one, I asked Jesus, what is neighbor's church? And there were a couple things that were given to me. First, he said, neighbor's is an expression of my friendship with you, son. Like, oh, that's good. I like that. I'll take that. And then all of a sudden, I had this image of like old church buildings with all the missionaries and the pictures of the missionaries. And I was like, what? We're going to like be old and crusty and <laughs> What? And as I was praying through the pictures, I realized God wants us to be a global missionary community, like the old school Baptist church that like sends missionaries out, and you've got people with their pictures up on the walls in the back of the church building, and you're praying for them. I began praying that Neighbors would be a global missionary discipleship movement, and that God would raise up pastors and planters and missionaries to be sent locally and globally. Actually, in this next month or two, there's a fella in our church who may be leading a prayer group, specifically just if you feel at any inkling right now as I'm talking, maybe I'm being called to actually give my life and go, go plant, go lead, go into ministry, go on the missions, go on a mission trip, leave my country We're going to start a prayer group. I'm not sure what we're going to call it yet. Maybe we'll just call it Send. And it's just going to be a time to pray. Holy Spirit, who and how would you send? And how can we as Neighbors Church, in concert and in partnership with the churches in San Diego, send people around the globe? That brings us to Acts chapter 13, our text for the morning. I'm almost done. And then we're going to bring up a dear friend. Acts chapter 13. I'll read it again. In the church in Antioch or in the church in San Diego, let's apply it to us. There were prophets and teachers 
There was Barnabas and Simon, uh, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menanean, they'd been brought up, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So you have this community in Antioch of social classes, different ethnicities, different hierarchies within the social ladders, and then you've got Saul, the church planter. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, this is what we're going to do next week. We're just going to worship and ask the Holy Spirit, who and what are you setting us apart for in this next season? But the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. That's what God is doing in our community right now. Wes, would you come on up? It is really one of my great honors uh, to bring up Weston Mumford. And yeah, let's welcome him. He's going to fill in the backlog, but today will be Weston and Esther's official sending day. Weston's going to be planting a church. It's going to be launched uh, this Easter, Garden City Church. He's going to fill you in on some of that story, but it's really an incredible thing, friends. This little tiny community called Neighbors Church just wrote him and his little church plant a check for $15,000, and then we're going to be supporting him through 20... Yeah, that's you guys. Yes. And then we plan to support him as best we can through 2024 and launch our first church plant through him and Esther and baby Sophia uh, in La Mesa. And so I'm going to let him take over from here. And then we're going to have a time of communion, laying hands on him and Esther and Sophia, but also laying hands on each other. Some of us this morning may be commissioned to be sent. Cool? Wes. Hey, neighbors. Wow. It's such an emotional morning for me. I think... Uh, Shua played Take Me Back to the Garden, and I was like, ah! you'll, you'll see why in a minute. Um, three years. Three years this beautiful church has been going, and it has been an honor to be here. Can, can we just, I'm going to share a story of this call of how this started, but can we just give a round of applause for our pastors? for the call that they were faithful to to plant this church. This is beautiful. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Alexis. Would you just, would you pray with me real quick? God, as I um, share this story of how you've birthed this moment of, as Dan was saying, going out in the power of the Spirit to carry forth your fruit, your kingdom, the Garden of Eden. I just pray that even for people in this room right now, they would sense the Spirit stirring in their hearts and in their lives as they hear this story. And you would send out more and more people to just bring the garden, bring the garden city back to this earth, bring heaven back to earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the story of um, this really goes back to the beginning for me, which was when I came to Christ. I was 19, and I kind of had one of those stories where uh, one day I was uh, in drugs and partying and all that crazy stuff, and the next day I was just set free. God radically changed my life. That was my my story, I went from being a drug addict and a drug dealer, and the next day, just like, 
sharing the gospel to anybody and everybody I could. And I knew at that moment that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. It was like all this convergence just took place. All the things I'd been seeking for, everything I was looking for for a decade of my life just came to fruition in one moment. And I wanted to share that hope that I experienced with everyone I could. I went on the mission field very early on, within three months. I don't know if that's good or not. I was preaching the gospel. I I hope it was the gospel. I'm not really sure what I was (laughs) preaching, but I was out there already, and I caught a glimpse of what what it was like to live fully on mission for the Lord. Um, I began praying, God, this is what I want to do with my life. I, I didn't quite know exactly what, I just wanted to share. I wanted to share this hope. I wanted to share the gospel. I began praying. And uh, I, met a, I met a person who was like, I'm going to India for a year and a half. Do you want to come? And I was like, this is it. This is the answer to my prayer. And so I went, and, and you guys have been, I've been following along in this series on the Holy Spirit. I saw the Spirit move powerfully in India. I mean, I saw words being given to people and translated, of course, because we didn't know the language, and, and tears falling from people, people's eyes. I saw healings. I saw miracles. I saw, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Well, Unfortunately, God brought me back a little sooner. I wasn't actually there for a year and a half. I was only there for two months. And I was kind of, uh, I was kind of upset. I was like, oh, I, I don't want to be here. God, I want to be, be planning churches and being on the mission field and sharing the gospel and making disciples and doing that whole thing. And, and you brought me back. And I was kind of frustrated. And finally, I surrendered. And I'm like, okay, God, what do you have for me? I'm back, in, I'm back in America now. What do you have for me? And I remember um, he said, go to school. And I was like, I don't like school. Like school is not my thing. I don't want to go to school, you know? And he's like, no, go to Bible, Bible school. And I was like, wait, isn't that for like pastors? I'm not sure. Like I, I, the, the American pastor thing, I, I was like, I don't know about that. Like I'm going to plant churches overseas. Like I don't know about that. He's like, no, no, it's, it's for anyone. You want to do ministry. You've been saying that you want to serve me. You have no idea what you're doing. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. I don't know what I'm doing at all. Um, so go. And I was like, okay. So I go. That's when I started a, a new kind of trajectory in life of, of just getting equipped. And I thought it was all leading towards going out on the mission field one day where I would plant churches and make disciples and evangelize, maybe in like rural villages somewhere um, with my wife and my, and my baby now. <laughs> She's like, appa, appa. Um, so that started a new trajectory for me. Went to school, started getting some training. Um, uh, started getting some ministry experience, served at a few churches, and got my feet wet in that. And then as, as that kind of season started coming to a close, uh, I was, ended up going to seminary. I moved down from Carlsbad and came, came down here, and I had, do, do you want to grab her? Uh, I just want her to hang out here. Hi, baby. I love you. I love you. Some food. These things are good, actually. Um, so I was finishing seminary, and, I, and it was like all of this stuff was, it was like, okay, I had a year left. I had an internship. 
and everything was coming to culminate. I was like, I need to set myself up for, for really what I'm doing, my, my vocation, what I'm doing. This is, a, this is a key moment. I'm gonna be out of school like forever probably. And it's time now to transition and to move for that thing. So I started looking for an internship and in comes Dan into that picture. Dan, I met him at seminary and I was like, man, who is this cool guy? Look at this dude. He is so fresh and so hip. I got to meet this guy. And I'm just like a wannabe, you know? I'm like good at imitating. Like, I kind of look good right now, you know? <laughs> but I'm not, like, I'm not cool, guys. I'm just going to be honest. Like, I'm not. But this guy is cool. <laughs> it's a joke. So I want to meet Dan. So we started talking, and uh, Dan was like, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're planning a church. This was before Neighbors, no, Neighbors started over three years ago. He's like, we're planning a church. And I was like, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. This is going to give me, I, I'm going to get to see a church planted and, 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 and use that overseas. Use that on the, in the mission field. That's what I totally thought at the time. And so that's when... Um, I came on board Neighbors. Dan was like, yeah, come on, you can do your internship here. I was like, this is great. So I'm serving here at Neighbors, and, and uh, a year goes by, and I, I graduate. There's so much transition that happens all at once. I graduate. I go from being a full-time student to a full-time worker. I wasn't, I wasn't in vocational ministry at the time. I was just serving here. Um, I was working landscaping, oh my gosh, of all professions, wow, that was rough. I'm married now, um, Dan did our marriage, our, our wedding, like the, the week after I graduated, so all of this transition, right, in my life, and not only that, but we had little Sophia pretty early on, so we were pregnant within like four months, and I thought, I thought I was just, okay, you know, we're gonna settle down, Get, get, get into the rhythm of, of marriage and all of that, and I'm just going to work this job, and then eventually God's going to call me back into vocational ministry. And it was less than four months, and there was just a stirring on my heart, just like an unshakable feeling, right? You ever felt like that? I was like, oh my gosh, I'm being called back into ministry. But the reality set in, there's no way you're going on the mission field. <laughs> like, you have so much debt you have a baby on the way. Like, this is not the season for you to do that. And I'm like, okay, well, what does this mean? And I kid you not, guys, I would, every day, I would go online and I would look up jobs and I'd look up ministries and I'd look up churches and I'd be like, oh, I, I, I know something's happening. And I would get frustrated and I'd close my laptop and I'd wrestle with God because I couldn't bring myself to put in an application anywhere. I couldn't tell you why. I just couldn't do it. This was a daily thing that I wrestled with for a long time. What is going on, God? Not only that, but no doors were opening. Like, I've lived in San Diego my whole life. Like, I know, you know, some people, and there's no doors opening, and I'm like, what is going on? Around the same time, too, at work, I literally physically collapsed. We don't even know what it was to this day. I was on the couch for like three days. I think it was God just telling me like, look, you are not fit to be a landscaper the rest of your life. Like, this is not what you, like physically, like, you can't do that. You need to be like a Roman soldier. Like, it's real 
real stuff right there. And then, so I, I clapped. I'm like, okay, what is this? What's going on? God, no doors are opening. Nothing's happening. Um, I got a word, too. We've been speaking about prophecy. I got one of those words that, like, someone would share that, that that's not, someone shared it to you that's, like, not really that close to you, doesn't know what you're going through. And I remember I was bawling. Uh, someone called me one day who I wasn't really that close to, and they were like, Weston, you are called. You have a calling. You are a pastor. And you need to go and, and start something, even if that means you got to be on your own. I was like, that's a pretty bold word to share. And I was like, and, and they had no idea that I had been looking up jobs, that, I had, that that stirring had been on my heart. I literally started crying. I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. But then the last, the last thing had to, I had to make a ri risky decision, a faith-filled risk. All these things have been happening in my heart. And I'm, I remember I'm a newlywed. I got a child on the way. I have that burden of like, I'm a dad. And I'm a father now. You know, I'm a husband. It's like, I need, I need to provide for my family. How is this going to happen? And I had to tell my wife, this was the hardest thing. I had to bring this to my wife and say, babe, I feel called to go back into ministry. No doors are opening. I can't seem to apply anywhere but I think God is telling me that we need to step out and I need to pursue ministry even without the prospect of anything. And I had to tell her, like, I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. But I was so reluctant to do that. I finally did. And she was like, I support you 100% and we'll make it by. I don't know how we'll make it work, but we'll make it work. And so at the same exact time, actually, shout out to Dwayne. I was telling uh, just the story of taking a step of faith. And Dwayne was like, I'll compensate for hours that you're not going to work at work. It's like, whoa, this is coming together. So I would literally, I was working less landscaping, praise God. And I was staying at home and I'd, I'd read my Bible, I'd pray, and then I'd go out into La Mesa where I live. I would, I would witness to people. And then I'd come home and prepare for a Bible study to teach people who I didn't even have. <laughs> That's what I did for a while, just in faith. It was the funniest thing, right? Um, but God blessed it. And then after a while, the thought came. And this is a thought we all, we all have to ask ourselves, you know, how is God calling us to live on mission here? See, those doors closed for me out there. What I had thought, what I had imagined, closed. But how is God calling us to live on mission here? And with my skill set, with my wiring, with my gifting, it all converged finally. I remember that the thought just boom, hit my head and I was like, oh, wow. God was like, you're called to plant a church here. And it was like, bingo. This is why you went to this internship. This is why you came to learn how to plan. This is why no doors are opening. This is why you can't put in an application. This is what it's all pointing towards. I started talking to Dan about that. I'm like, Dan, I, I, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little scared, but I think this is what God is calling me to do. And, and um, Dan's like, all right, well, just, you know, are you sure? Yada, yada. And, and we're, we're praying about it. We're talking about it. And finally, it got to the point where it was like a matter of obedience. Like I had to do this. Like, I didn't have another choice. I, I couldn't live with myself unless I did it. And I told Dan, I was like, Dan, 
I have to do this. And he was like, that's it. That's how I know you're called. That's what I've been waiting for to hear from your mouth. We'll get behind you. We'll support you. Around the same time, I had been pursuing ordination through this sweet little traditional small um, denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. I think I started with them just because they're really big on missions, and that's what I had wanted to do, right? So I started with them, and um, I was pursuing ordination, and they were like, well, what, are you gonna, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't, you know, I can't go on the mission field right now. And they're like, well, what is it? And I'm like, well, I've been thinking about planting, but I just, you know, I don't know. I can't do that out there. They're like, well, let's do some assessments on you. So then they do the assessments on me, and it's like psychology assessments and all this kind of stuff. And after a few months, they're like, we'll get behind you. We'll support you. <laughs> yes. And um, so, so um, yes, she's a wonderful distraction to life, the most beautiful distraction you will ever find. It is amazing. Um, so after a while, long story short, CMA was like, we'll get behind you, we'll support you. Dan, Neighbors Church, we'll get behind you, we'll support you. And that leads us to today. We will be planning Garden City Church in La Mesa, California. I think we have a, maybe a, info, a little, little visual. Oh, okay. It's, it's okay. It's not quite... I don't know vector files and all that kind of stuff. So it is what it is. It's up there. But you got to throw a visual, right? Something, something. It's not quite, yeah. Okay. Uh, I actually met the guy who did this. It's actually incomplete for whatever reason. But I actually met, met this guy at a coffee shop, and he did this for free for us. It's so cool. And this is just a beautiful picture of, of Garden City and kind of what that means. So I want to share with you just for a moment. Dan was talking about it today, um, just a, a, an overview of the garden and, and being garden people and being sent. And I want to share with you just this, this idea. Our, it's going to be Garden City Church, uh, launch in Easter, like I said. And I just want to share with you like what that means to me and, and for our, our church. Um, so if you don't know, by the way, I'm kind of a weird person. I, I, I'm actually a certified regenerate farmer, too. <laughs> Just to let you know. Um, I really wanted to do the mission thing. And like, I really wanted to do that. Um, so I'm a certified regenerate farmer. So the garden, the garden imagery has just is so, it's actually very prominent in scripture. I started realizing this, you know, six years ago and, and seeing just how prominent the theme of the garden is in scripture. And so it kind of started uh, uh, weighing on me more and more until the name came and I was like, there it is. The story of the Bible really can be summed up in uh, the, the, the garden city. If you go back to the very beginning in the garden, there we were, the garden people with God in the garden. And um, the garden is really a picture of all of life lived in worship to God. It's, if you didn't know, the name Eden, Garden of Eden, Eden means delight. And it's this picture of what worship truly is. It's delighting utterly and completely in God. You see, you see Adam and Eve in the garden. You see the fruit so luscious. You see harmony. You see work and rest. And all of it was just good. It was all delight. It was all an act of worship to God. And, it, and, and when you go through the, when you start moving through the Bible, you see the temples that were built later on keep echoing back 
the garden. They keep having the same imagery of, of the trees and palm trees and all that kind of stuff. They keep echoing back the garden. And that's because the temples were a picture of God's true temple, which was actually the Garden of Eden, believe it or not. I like to say it like this. The garden was, God, was the inception of God's intention to make all of creation his house of worship. That's what the garden was. It wasn't the end game. It was the inception. And that's why, as Dan spoke today, he, um, um, God gave us the, it's the great commission of the Old Testament, Genesis 1.28. God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule. And it was the idea that Adam and Eve would go forth from the garden to spread Eden across the face of the earth so that all of the earth would be his place of worship, where all of humanity with all of the cultures, and it was, it was you know, be fruitful, multiply. The, um, the idea is, you know, as they went out and as they spread, they would form societies and societies, cities and cities, civilizations. And that's why when you get to Revelation, you'd no longer just see a garden. You see what comes out of heaven. It's a garden cultivated. It's a, it's a garden city. That was the intention all along. But you know what happened, right? Dan mentioned it. Sin. We fell. And Jesus comes to restore us to that privileged place of partnering with him to, in another biblical metaphor, bring the kingdom, bring heaven on earth, bring the garden back to creation. And so Jesus comes, and, and this is where I really started getting interested in this um, uh, understanding of the garden. But Jesus comes, and uh, what does John say? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he won the battle we lost. As our substitute, he said, not my will be done, Father, but yours be done. Whereas in, in the garden for us, we said, my will be done, and we took the fruit. And John says he went, he went to the cross and he died and they laid him in a tomb in the garden. And Jesus rose from the dead in the garden. And Mary mis, mis, mistook him. Is that how you say it? Mistook him? That word sounds weird to me. Uh, Mary mistook him for being the gardener. It's so ironic because he actually was. He was the one that created Eden for us in the first place. And he is recreating as he rises from his tomb in the garden to bring us back into that privileged place with him. He's recreating his garden people. And as, as Dan said, it culminates in Matthew 28 with the New Testament reiteration of the same exact thing in Genesis. Listen to how similar it sounds. All authority has been given to me. I'm the king. That's where that subdue and rule language comes. You do that in my image. That's what Genesis 1.28 says. Jesus says, I'm the king. All authority has been given to me. So you go forth and multiply disciples of all nations. And so that's where this, this, this becomes so important for me. If we are being called, and our church wants to, wants to partner with God in this beautiful privilege of, of, of 
bringing the kingdom, spreading the garden, letting, seeing heaven come to earth, and he's using us. We are leaning into the promise of the future. It is sure. That's where we're headed. There's a garden city that's going to come one day and fill the face of this earth, and we are leaning into that now. We will not, we will not take just the status quo and be okay with that. We're leaning into that promise, and we're going to live that out here to now till heaven comes to earth. So.